Good evening, family. It's been such a wonderful, wonderful joy to be here in this wonderful place to see the power of Jesus working through you, his chosen instruments of healing. And I just have to say, I just want to thank God for the great privilege of witnessing this miracle and sharing a word of hope with you tonight. I invite you to bow your heads with me as we pray together. Let us pray. Father in heaven, Lord, we want to thank you so much for your goodness and your grace. We pray, dear Lord, that your Holy Spirit would fill this room and fill our hearts. Speak to us in a personal and intimate way. Lord, I pray that through this presentation, through this Bible study, that someone here will be changed for eternity. And Lord, please, let it be me. Let it be me. This is all of our prayer, and we ask this in Christ's precious name. Amen. Our theme for this Pathways to Health is one that angels find intriguing, Christ's transforming love. The book Steps to Christ calls it the theme for the most profound meditation. And I pray that the meditation of our minds tonight will truly bring about a transformation in our hearts this evening. Tonight I'd like to begin by sharing with you a story about an elderly gentleman that met an elderly woman that lived across the street. They were in the golden years of their life. They were physically frail, but they were mentally sharp. He was dependent on a walker, and she was bound to a wheelchair. He was hard of seeing, and she was hard of hearing. Over a period of time, they became acquainted, and they began a relationship together, and they would have daily visits. He would walk across the street to her house, and she would meet him there on the porch. And this elderly gentleman started to really enjoy the company of this woman. They would just sit there and talk about the time when life was a lot simpler, you know, the good old days. And in the loneliness of their old age, they found a safe haven of rest in each other's company. Well, as the months went, I, as the months went by, this elderly gentleman decided that he really liked her. He was growing in love with her, and he felt that she felt the same way about him. And so he thought to himself, why don't I ask her to marry me? He thought she was cute, and he thought she thought he was sweet. You know, his wife had passed away years ago, and she herself was a widow. They weren't getting any younger, and he had nothing to lose. And so he thought for sure she would agree for, with the proposition. And so he went to her house one day with the confidence of a teenager to propose to this woman. And I, so he began to speak with her, and she, he said to her, you know, I've, we, we've known each other for a few months now, and I've grown to really like you, and I think you're a really neat person. And by this time, she's feeling flattered. And she could tell that he was nervous about something, but she wasn't really sure what it was. And finally, after a bit of rambling, he, bur he blurted out his proposal. He said to her, you know, I think we should get married. And she said, what? Being hard of hearing, she didn't really hear what he said. So he leaned over into her ear and kicked up the volume a notch, and he said again, we should get married. And she thought for a moment, then she responded with a tone of confused bewilderment, and she said, well, that sounds like a nice deal, but who in the world would want us? <laughs> who in the world would want us? <laughs> 
But you know, my brothers and sisters, what that woman said about herself can easily be said of all humanity. Who in the world would want us? We who are messed up and marred by sin, we who have been defaced and dis dis disfigured by our own disobedience, we who have been crippled and corrupted by our own bent sinful nature, we who barely resemble any of the image of God that we once had, we who have spurned the grace of God, we have cheapened the forgiveness of the Father, we have despised the love of the Lord and ignored the King of kindness, we who have caused Him so much pain, so much agony, so much heartbreak, who in the world would ever want us? Like an unfaithful servant, we have selfishly served the Lord for reward instead of love. Like the ungrateful son, we have wasted our substance and we have lived our lives as though God our Father is dead. Like the cheating wife, we have gone after other lovers, breaking the heart of God over and over and over again. We have caused God so much pain, we have abused His love. And so the question tonight is, who in the world would ever want us? Who in heaven would ever want us? And why would they ever want us? You know, there's a story in the Bible of an individual who had that question. And for many years, he believed that surely God would never want him. He felt utterly and eternally cut off and separated from God. He actually believed that God hated him. He believed that the frown of the Father was forever upon him. He believed that he actually bore the curse of God, and he was told this, and he was treated like this by the religious leaders of the day. And each day, as he looked into his, himself in the mirror, and he saw his ugly face, he would think and ask himself the question, who would ever want me? Why would anyone ever want me. But one day this man had the opportunity to ask Jesus that question. The question, do you want me? Do you care for me? Will you help me? And Jesus, God in the flesh, gave him a beautiful and profound answer that I would like to share with you tonight. For the same answer that Jesus gave to this individual is the same answer that he gives to each and every one of us when we feel like no one could ever love us and no one could ever desire us. The story is found in the book of Mark chapter 1, and so I invite you to take your Bible and open there with me. The book, the book of Mark, the first chapter, and we'll stay in here for our study tonight. And as you're turning to Mark chapter 1, let me give you the context, and I want you to use your imagination as we picture the scene. This was towards the beginning of Jesus' public ministry as his fame was being spread throughout the surrounding cities. The word went out that there was a great gentle healer that came into town, a healer that was able to open up blind eyes and clear up deaf ears, a mighty miracle worker that had the power to straighten up twisted bodies, lame legs and withered hands, a compassionate Christ who brought hope and health and healing to those who are homeless, helpless, and hurting. And, the, and one day, this good news reached the ears of this individual who was an outcast of society, one who was considered as good as dead by the multitude. And this man at first brushed off that good news as something that was not applicable to himself. For this man was suffering from an incurable and the most dreaded disease of the day. This man 
was a leper. I don't know if you know anything about leprosy, but in the East, of all the diseases in the East, leprosy was the most feared, the most dreaded disease, for it carried with it social and physical and spiritual stigma. You see, le leprosy is a chronic infectious bacterial disease that attacks the peripheral nerves. And nerve damage causes loss of feeling and numbness. You see, leprosy caused its victim to become desensitized and indifferent to pain. And friends, what leprosy did to the physical body is the same thing that sin does to the soul. You see, sin, my friends, is the anesthesia that numbs us to the pain that our sin brings to God. It weakens our spiritual sensitivity to God's Holy Spirit. You see, friends, this leper was a loathsome spectacle. One of the main symptoms of leprosy is dis disfiguring skin sores all over the body and on the face, pale-colored lumps and bumps. Many times, leopards would, would have missing fingers and twisted limbs, disfigured faces and sunken eyes, swollen lips, bloody boils, red rashes, skin ulcers, and open sores all over the body. Back at home in Hawaii, we have an island that used to be a leprosy, leper colony. I've seen pictures of it. When I was in India, I saw individuals who had the symptoms of leprosy. It's, it's painful to look upon. And when this disease advanced to a certain stage, the leper had to cover his face lest his breath contaminate the air that others had to breathe. Whatever he touched was unclean. The air was polluted by his breath, and there was a constant stench of pus and blood that oozed from his putrefying sores. Leprosy, friends, was a living death. Not only was there physical stigma, but also psychological and social stigma as well. You see, this incurable and contagious disease made its victim an outcast of society. Like one who was already dead, he was shut out from the habitations of men, and he was obligated to proclaim his filth wherever he went. His garments were torn as an outward sign warning others of his inward filth. Whenever he heard the approach of others coming near to him, he would have to cry at the top of his voice, unclean, unclean, as a warning to others to flee from his contaminating presence. The leper was no longer known by his name, but rather by his disease. His disease became his identity. He was known by his uncleanliness. Oh, my friends, have you allowed the disease of sin to become your identity? You know, Satan, he knows our name, but he calls us by our sin. But Jesus knows our sin, but he calls us by our name. Amen? You see, people were afraid to come into the presence of a leper. He was looked upon with disgust and abhorrence. The leper was isolated from his family, cut off from the congregation of Israel, and forced to flee from society, and he was doomed to dwell in the region of the dead, a place where only lepers would live. But not only was there physical and, and, and social stigma, there was also a spiritual stigma that was attached to this dreaded disease. You see, in ancient times, leprosy was also looked upon as the symbol of sin. And by the ritual law, the leper was pronounced unclean, shut out 
from all the services of the temple. I mean, friends, think about it. He couldn't even go to church. Among the Jews, leprosy was regarded as a judgment on account of a person's personal sin. It was called the stroke, uh, uh, the, the, the finger of God. And because of its spiritual stigma, there was no pity or compassion for the leper. You see, in the minds of the masses, the leper was getting exactly what he deserved. He was reaping the results of the sin that he had sown. He was lying in the bed that he himself had made. And so don't try to help him. Don't try to pray for him. Else you'll be tampering with the judgments of God. That's what the people thought, friends. And that's what the leper believed about himself. He thought to himself, no one wants me, not even God. He was forsaken of men and seemingly rejected and forgotten of God. Unwanted, unloved, undesired. Doomed to isolation, loneliness, death, and eternal damnation. This was the destiny of leprosy, but it's also the destiny of sinful humanity. Oh, but there's good news, friends. Because the same God that touched this leper touches us tonight. There's a God in heaven, friends, that can change eternal destinies. No matter how bad the condition, no matter how deep we are in sin and crooked our lives may be, He is a God that can change eternal destinies. He can restore mental and spiritual and physical life to those of us who are dead in sin. And so the story goes that one day the leopard heard about Jesus and his power and the willingness to heal. But at first when he heard the news, he doubted that Jesus would pay him any attention because this leper considered himself as the worst of all sin sinners. He felt too dirty to be cleansed and too damaged to be restored and too broken to be blessed. And so he thought to himself, why would Jesus stoop to notice and believe Stoop to no notice and help one that was believed to be suffering under the judgments of God. Would he not, like the priests and the Pharisees and the physicians, pronounce a curse upon me? Would he not turn away from me in disgust when he sees my ugly face? You see, this leper did not know the character of Christ. He didn't understand the mission of the Messiah. His picture of God was defaced by the theology of the day. And friends, I want to submit that many people are suffering from that same disease. The wrong picture of God, affected by false theology of today. And so this leper wasn't sure. But then he thought to himself that the risk of being rejected was worth the reward of being healed. And thus he determined to search for the Savior. And one day, the story tells us, Jesus was teaching multitudes beside the lake. And from the distance, the leper saw him. He, ca he caught a few words from the Savior, Savior's lips. And he sees Jesus from a distance, reaching out to heal and to touch those who are sick among him. And as he sees what Jesus was doing for others, faith begins to spring up in his heart. And so he draws nearer and nearer to the gathering throng. But then the thought of the crowd's reaction caused him to hesitate momentarily. Many people today are still hesitating in coming to Jesus because they're too concerned with the reaction of the crowd. The voice of doubt was speaking to the leper. 
saying to him, if he sees you, he will surely reject you, and the crowd will surely stone you. I mean, look at you, man. Who in the world would ever want you? But then the voice of faith was speaking to this leper and saying, if he healed others, why not you? Come on, man, what do you have to lose? If you don't go, you're going to die anyway. Your only chance to live is to go to Jesus. And so the leopard moves to the crowd, and, and finally, I want you to picture it, finally his, the stench of his presence is noticed. And at the sight of his decaying body, the people fall back in terror. Panic seizes the crowd, and they begin to hurl their curses and condemnations upon him. Everyone scrambles to get away from this dirty man, lest he contaminate them too. But the leper, at this moment, neither sees nor hears the crowd. And friends, if you want to come to Jesus, you got to forget the reaction of the crowd. Amen? This leopard, leper losing sight of the crowd, he sees only the Son of God. He hears only the voice that speaks life to the dying. And so pressing to Jesus, he casts himself at his feet, and then he presents a request to the Lord. And now we pick up the story, Mark chapter 1 and verse 40. The Bible says, there came a leper to him, beseeching him and kneeling down to him, and saying to him, if thou wilt, thou canst make me clean. If thou wilt, thou canst make me clean. Friends, in the request of the leper, we find a declaration of faith, but also a recognition of his own unworthiness. You see, the declaration of faith is when the leper said, you can make me clean. He was declaring that, that, that I believe that you have the power to change my condition. I believe that you have the power to cleanse me of my filth. But then when he said, if thou wilt, it was, a, it was an acknowledgement of his unworthiness. You see, the question was, not if Jesus had the power to do it. He said, you can make me clean. The question is, do you have the willingness to do this? I believe that you have the power, but are you willing? You see, this leper is, is not really sure who Jesus is. He never had a personal encounter with Christ. And so what he's really saying to Jesus, I'm unclean, dirty, filthy, unworthy. I'm suffering because of the sins of my past. I'm reaping the results of the sin that I had sown. I don't have any good reason as to why you would ever want me. I have nothing to offer you. No one else wants me. No one would dare even touch or embrace me. None are willing to help me. But will you help me? If you will, will you save me from my condition? What is your will? What is your desire? What is your decision? And Jesus responds to this leper. In words of deep pity, notice verse 41, how Jesus responds to this leper is how he responds to you tonight, my friend. This is one of the most powerful verses to me in the Bible. Verse 41 says, and Jesus moved with compassion, put forth, put forth his hand, and touched him, and said unto him, I will be thou clean. Oh, friends, I hope that verse hits you like it hits me. This verse tells us four things about Jesus. Number one, when Christ saw this wretched, loathsome individual full of sores, 
the Bible says that his response was not disgust, but his response was that he was moved with compassion. Oh, friends, listen carefully. Our God is an immovable rock, a solid, sturdy, stable foundation for us. But this mighty rock is movable. You see, friends, the nature of divinity is that it can be moved by humanity. God is not cold, nor hard, nor callous to the human experience. He's not indifferent to the pain that we go through. He sees us in all our filth and all our corruption and brokenness, and yet He's moved by compassion. And that word compassion, if you look it up, it literally means to suffer with. In other words, when we suffer, Jesus suffers. When we weep, he weeps. When he hurts, he feels it in his own flesh. And I'm not sure what you're going through tonight, friend. Maybe you're going through problems in your marriage, financial difficulties. Maybe you yourself have health issues. Maybe your children are acting crazy and you, you don't have the best relationship with your parents. I'm not sure what you're going through. Maybe you've lost a loved one and your heart is broken and you feel like there's no human heart in this world that can understand what you're going through. But I want you to know tonight that there's a divine heart that sees, hears, knows, and feels your pain. And He is the great God that can turn our sorrows into sweet joy. Amen. And so that's number one. Jesus is moved with compassion. Number two, the Bible says that Jesus touched him. He touched him. When no one else would come close to him, Jesus touched him. But when did Jesus touch him? Oh, listen, friends. Christ touched this leper when he was still dirty, covered with sores. Now think about it. Christ could have cleansed him first before he touched him. But he touched him while he was still dirty. Why? Because Christ wants us to know that action speaks louder than words. He could have spoke the word and it would have been done, but instead he reached out and touched this leper while he was still dirty. And friends, think about it. What do you suppose that touch did for the leper? Let me tell you. Before the physical healing came, mental, emotional, and spiritual healing came first by that one touch. You see what Christ was doing? He was restoring the dignity of His humanity by that single touch. And that touch of Jesus brought emotional and psychological and spiritual healing. It brought the assurance to this man that despite his condition, he was still valuable. And it brought healing spiritually. Why? Because now the leper, leper could see the true character of Christ. The picture of a God that embraces us and touches us when we're still dirty and we don't have it all together. You see, friends, the touch of Jesus communicates this simple and profound truth, the truth that I love you just as you are. Despite your condition, I still desire you. I don't expect you to change before you come to me. You can come to me with all your filth, all your problems, and I will not turn you away. You see, friends, we serve a God that desires us not because of who we are, but because who He is. A God that embraces us without the fear of being contaminated by us. A God that will take us just as we are, but He will not leave us as we are. He has the power to change. 
And so, my friends, if you're asking the question tonight, who would ever want me? Maybe you've asked the question, like the leper, Lord, do you want me? What is your will? This testimony of the Scriptures tell us that God will take us when no one else wants us. How many of you are thankful for Jesus tonight? Amen? And so he's asking, if you will, what is your will? The leper is trying to discover what God's will, his feelings are concerning him. What is your desire? Do you want me? I don't have any good reason why you would want me, but do you want me? Will you help me? Will you change me? Jesus responds, I will. And that's the third thing. What is God's will? God desires us, friends. And it is God's will that we might be clean. It is God's will that we might be cleansed from our defilement. It is God's will that we may not remain in the condition that we, when, we, when we first came to Him. It is God's will, friends, for us to live without sin. The Bible says in 1 John 2 verse 1, My little children, these things I write to you that you sin not. In 1 Thessalonians 4 verse 3 it says that this is the will of God, even your sanctification. And so it's God's will to cleanse us from the defilement of sin. But the question is, what makes God's will a reality in our lives? Jesus says, I will. Then what did he say? Be thou clean. And when Christ pronounced those words, the word that came out of the mouth of God had the power in it to do exactly what it said. When Jesus said, be thou clean, notice what happened in verse 42. It says, and as soon as he had spoken, immediately the leprosy departed from him and he was cleansed. Friends, the power of God's word is such that it does exactly what it says it will do. Amen? The spoken word of Christ, believed in the heart by faith, has self-fulfilling power. And let me tell you, friends, these words that Jesus spoke was not only a legal declaration, but it brought an actual experience in the life of the leper. He was not only legally declared cleansed, but he was actually cleansed. Why? Because the word of God, the power of God's word, not only justifies us, it also sanctifies us. The Word of God cleanses us inwardly, and it transforms us outwardly as well. In John 15, verse 3, Jesus said, You are clean by the Word that I have spoken unto you. In Psalms 119, it says, How shall a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed according to the Word. Thy Word have I hid in my heart, that I might not sin against you. And so, my friends, are you struggling with the defilement of sin? Have you felt eternally contaminated by your guilt and shame? And you've asked yourself the question, who could ever want me? I know I've been there. I've asked myself that question many a time. But that which will transform us completely is when we realize this one singular profound truth. And that is that there is a God in heaven that touches us even when we're still dirty. Touches us even though we're not worthy of him. That's the reason why the Bible says in Romans chapter 5, verse 8, you know the verse, but God commended his, his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, what did Jesus do? He died for us. When did he die for us? While we were yet sinners. And then in Romans 5, verse 10, for if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. When did God love us, friends? When did Jesus die for us? 
He loved us when we were still His enemies in sinful rebellion. He loved us even when we hated Him. And let me tell you, God does not love us because we're valuable, but rather we are valuable because God loves us. In other words, the sacrifice of Christ on the cross did not add value to humanity, but the sacrifice of Christ on the cross simply revealed the value of humanity. And friends, value, listen to this, value is determined by what one is willing to pay. Isn't that right? Value is determined by what one is willing to pay. You know, growing up, one of my many childhood hobbies was collecting basketball cards, sport, sports cards. And I had an extensive collection of, of basketball cards by, you know, Shaq and Barkley and Michael Jordan and Ewing and Malone and uh, amongst the other greats. And because of this childhood hobby of mine, I read an article not long ago that caught my attention. The article was about the 20 most expensive sports cards that were ever purchased. 19 on that list was an 86-87 rookie card of Michael Jordan. Would you like to guess how much one bought that card? $100,000. And that was only 19th on the list. The second on the list was a 1914 rookie card by the baseball player Babe Ruth. That card was sold at an auction for $517,000. The first card on the list, the most expensive sports card ever purchased, the first one was the 1909 baseball card by Pittsburgh Pirates player Honus Wagner. Any of you know who Honus Wagner is? Wow, there's a few people. I have no idea who he is. But that card was sold for $2.8 million. What a waste of money. <laughs> oh, friends, do you know what $2.8 million can buy? It can buy you a beachfront property on a white sandy beach of Hawaii. How many would rather have the, the mansion in Hawaii than a baseball card? <laughs> It was like this individual who bought it was willing to trade a mansion for a little piece of paper with ink on it. And by the way, friends, this card was not in perfect condition either. It, its edges were cut. It had a few creases. It was discolored, spotted, and owed. But for the owner of the Arizona Diamondbacks baseball team, that little piece of paper was worth to him $2.8 million. It's just a piece of paper with ink. It, ha it has absolutely no practical purpose for life. You can't eat it. You can't drink it. You can't breathe it. You can't wear it. You can't live in it. It has no practical purpose, but still, it's worth $2.8 million. Now, I thought to myself, how is it possible for this little piece of paper to have so much value? And here's the answer, friends, because value is determined by how much one is willing to pay. Did you catch that? Many are willing to pay an extravagant price for a piece of trash. Why? Because of the image that's on it. It still had value, not because of its condition, but because of the image it bore. Oh, friends, what a lesson. What a lesson. What a transforming lesson. 
Humanity, friends, has been cut, creased, spotted, disfigured, and blemished and aged by sin. And yet there is one who is still willing to pay an infinite price for us, not because we are in perfect condition. We are not, friends. We are damaged goods. And friends, when something is slightly soiled, it usually goes for cheap. Usually if there's a defect in an item, the price is reduced or it's thrown out altogether. Damaged goods loses its value, but not so with broken, damaged, marred humanity. God still desires us. He has purchased us at an infinite price, not because of our condition, but because of the image that we bear. Even though we've been messed up and marred by sin, we still bear the image of the Maker in our being. We still have value. Oh, friends, don't ever forget that you are the most expensive thing in the universe. Jesus gave eternity just for you, even though we're damaged goods. And that's what the word redeemed means. It means to buy back. It means to purchase something. The action of regaining something in exchange for payment. Our value is determined by what one is willing to pay. And like the song we sang tonight says, Jesus paid it all. All to him we owe. Sin has left the crimson stain, but he washes it white as snow. Are you thankful for Jesus tonight? Christ bought mankind with the king's ransom, his own eternal existence. But mankind sold Christ for the price of a cheap slave, 30 pieces of silver. Jesus paid the top price for damaged goods. Humanity paid the bottom price for heavenly goods. Friends, don't miss that point. Don't forget it. The cross did not add value. It simply revealed it. I often ask God the question, why, God, do you love me so? How could you love me after all I've done to you? What wondrous love is this? What is man that thou art mindful of him? Why is it that you esteem me so valuable? You see, my friends, Christ's transforming love is our theme. And it's not something that we can fully explain with words. Words are inadequate to explain it. Our minds are too weak to comprehend it. But God has made our hearts that we might experience it. So even though we might not be able to explain it or comprehend it, we can experience it. And when we experience this love that touches us when we're still dirty, it has the power to bring transformation forever. Not just in our record, but in our actual experience. Not only legal justification, but also experiential transformation. You see, the same God that said, neither do I condemn you, is the same one that said, go and what? Sin no more. It is an accepting and transforming love that saves us. And it's a love that says to us, I will take you as you are, and I will not leave you as you are. It's a love that says, I will come down to you, and I will bring you up to me. A love that says, I will pardon your past, and I will power, empower your present. I will wash you, and I will clothe you. I will justify you by my blood, and I will sanctify you by my spirit. I will die so that you can live, and I will live so that self can die. This, my friends, is the complete, full, balanced picture of Jesus Christ. It is not a one-sided, half-baked, greasy, grace, counterfeit gospel. It is full and complete, and this is the gospel, the good news that our dying world needs to hear. And so let us go 
and share it with the world. I plead with you, my beloved church family, let's not give only half the message. Let us not fall into the ditch of relativism and ecumenism and pluralism and postmodernism and false progressivism. Let us grow and let us go and let us give the complete gospel message to every nation, kindred, tongue, and people. Let us give all the message and let us do it in all the world. Oh, friends, how many want to experience the reality of this transforming gospel more deeply in your life? How many of you want to preach it and proclaim it and propagate it and proliferate it in the world? How many of you desire that the audible proclamation of your lips will become the consistent, visible demonstration of your life? That's my desire tonight. And so in closing, I want to share with you the story of one who experienced this transforming love. My wife and I have the great privilege of doing evangelism all over the world. And our mission is simply to help others to see that revelation is really a revelation of hope. Let me tell you that our prophetic message, correctly presented, is almost irresistible. Correctly presented. It's all about Jesus and his power to save. Well, let me quickly tell you, a few months ago, we held meetings in such and such a city, and a sister named Ellen came to our meetings. And this sister Ellen was deeply involved into New Age stuff, Eastern meditation and astrology and just a whole bunch of New Age weirdness. In fact, back in the day, we used to smoke weed together. We would get high and we'd talk about life and philosophy. And she tried to teach me how to meditate, how to get in touch with the, with the God within. And she was a very interesting lady. You know, she was dancing to the beat of her own drum for sure. She was a relativist and a pluralist. She didn't believe that there was any absolutes. No moral absolutes, no absolute truth. And because she did not believe in right or wrong or there, there's nothing uh, absolute about morality, she felt no need of a Savior. She would always say, to, to each his own. And meditation was her way of connecting with the universe. But in recent months, she began to search for something greater than the God within. And so we invited her to our seminar. And she came almost every night with an open mind and an open heart. And we presented the logical evidence why we can trust the God of the Bible. We uplifted the beautiful Savior that touches us when we're still dirty in our sins. And Ellen began to see this God for the first time. And, and as a result, her life began to be changed. And I'll never forget one night she came to me with tears in her eyes. And she said to me during this evangelistic Bible prophecy seminar, she says, I never realized just how much God loves me. She was moved to the depths of her being by the transforming love of Christ. When Ellen looked upon the cross, she saw two things. Number one, her wretched condition. And number two, her infinite worth. And as a result, she was never the same again. Ellen made a decision for baptism, amen? She decided to quit smoking and drinking, and now she attends church every single Sabbath. And just a few weeks ago, she sent me a text on my phone, and I, when I read her text, it caused me to weep. With, with, with joy at what God was doing in her life. And I want to read you her text. Here's what she said, and I quote, I have not drank a drop of alcohol nor smoked since the meetings. God is good. I do crave, but it is wiped out when I focus my mind on his greatness. I see the light. She craves, but she has victory when she takes her mind off herself and focus it on the greatness of God. Friends, listen. Victory over sin is not found in the fear of hell nor in the reward of heaven. 
It is not found in human effort or moral reforms, but rather it is found by focusing our mind on God's greatness, not by focusing on what we have to give to God, but focusing on what God has given to us in Christ, not by focusing on our failures, but focusing on His faithfulness. And as we behold, we will become changed because when we look at Jesus, we see our reflection in His eyes. And do you know what we see? We see that we are damaged goods, damaged but not destroyed. And even though we are vile, we are still valued at an infinite cost. And so as we close tonight, perhaps you felt in your own heart, who in the world would ever want me? And you never really believed that God could ever want or desire or love you. You felt like a leper, dirty, damaged, unworthy, unloved, unsalvageable. Surely I say to you today, you are more than the sum of your past mistakes. Your value is not determined by who you are, but the price one was willing to pay for you. And because of this amazing love, we can be cleansed legally and experientially. And so, will you accept his love tonight? Will you accept the gentle touch of Jesus? He wants you to be clean. Will you allow his will to be made perfect in your life? You've been busy healing others, but have you allowed Jesus to heal you? You've been helping others to see, but have you allowed Jesus to open your eyes? You've been fixing people's teeth, but has Christ fixed your heart? Tonight, Sister Mary is going to sing a song, and I want to have a special prayer for those who perhaps have been struggling with the love of God, struggling with guilt and shame of your past life. Tonight, Jesus invites us to come to him just as we are, to let him touch us and pronounce us and make us clean. So would you bow your heads, would you close your eyes, would you open your heart, and then I'm going to invite you to come down to the front to receive the touch of Jesus tonight. Listen carefully. Tonight, your heart has been moved by the love of God that touches us even when we're still dirty. You recognize your unworthiness, but you recognize the cost that had been paid for you. And you would like to come down to this spiritual altar and lay your sins, lay yourself at Jesus' feet, receiving his touch, receiving his healing, physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual. If you have a special request you'd like to bring to the Lord, you want to respond to his love, and tonight you're choosing to believe that God loves me, he has forgiven me, and he will change me, and I'm opening my heart and letting him do that for me. If that is your desire, if that is your decision, I invite you to come as Sister Mary sings the next verse in chorus. Would you come for special prayer? Receive the touch of Jesus in your life tonight. God bless you. Lord, thank you so much for your amazing love. How can it be? How can it be, Lord, that you, our God, would die for us? 
amazing love. We're not worth it, Lord. We have caused you so much pain by our foolish choices. We have sinned much. And this evening we recognize not only our wretchedness, but we recognize that even though we are marred, we are still valuable in your heart. So we come to you in Christ's name asking that you please touch us, embrace us. Help us, Lord, to believe that you love us. And help us to believe also that you have the power to change us. Forgive us for our sins, Lord. Forgive us for our hypocrisy. Forgive us for our inconsistencies. Forgive us, Lord. Cleanse us with the blood of Jesus. Clothe us with the righteousness of Jesus. And I pray that you'll baptize us tonight with the Spirit of Jesus. Fill our empty hearts. Make us your children. And I want to pray especially for those who've come to the front, these who have recognized their need, these who are coming with specific sins, with specific things they're surrendering to you. Lord, I pray that you'll bless them. I pray that you would make us clean tonight. We don't have the power to do it, Lord. All our righteousness are like filthy rags. But we believe that you can, and we see that it is your will. So our prayer, Lord, tonight is that your will will be done on earth in our lives, just as it is in heaven. Thank you for touching us even when we're still dirty, Lord. And now, dear God, help us to go and touch others as you have touched us. Now, Lord, help us to go and see others as you have seen us. Help us to go and be to others what you have been to us. We thank you. We accept it by faith tonight. In Jesus' blessed name, we pray that all of God's children say, Amen. Amen. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.